Good morning. Welcome to Greystone Church. We're happy that you chose to worship with us this Labor Day weekend, and super kudos to the, the, the later service. We had a good crowd at the early service, and then they, they jetted out of town. Um, but my name's Adam Wilson. I'd like to welcome our other campuses, our Walton campus, our Oconee campus, those of you watching online. Uh, my family and I have been a part of Greystone for over 16 years now. Our children were born uh, here, and they were baptized here. They're now part of the student ministry out at the Oconee campus where my wife and I uh, spend our time. But uh, we're in week four of a nine-part series on the marks or characteristics of a disciple. And we're talking about obedience. Disciples choose to obey God's word. And before you turn me off or shut me down, I need you to hang with me. When we hear the word obedience, a lot of us defense mechanisms start to fire. And we don't like to be told what to do, or at least I don't like to be told what to do. At our inner core, we believe that we know what's best for our lives. So to have somebody else tell us what we're supposed to be doing, or to follow someone else's instructions can be difficult. But it's not difficult for everybody, and in order for us, where we're going to spend the rest of our time today, I want us to take a look at the first disciples of Jesus, the first 12 that he called. And as we look at their lives, I think there's a lot of things that we can learn as they walked with Jesus over a three-year period, some things that we can learn from them. Before we do, there's an observation that I want to make, and I think maybe this will give us a little bit of relief but the disciples were not disciples when Jesus called them. They were 12 ordinary men with ordinary backgrounds, ordinary jobs, ordinary family histories. These were 12 ordinary men that did not carry or have the nine traits that we're talking about. They did, at least 11 of the 12 did, at the end but they didn't at the beginning. That's not why Jesus called them, because they had these nine traits. They were ordinary people. So what we can learn from that is there are no prerequisites to be a follower of Christ. There are no prerequisites to be a disciple. If you are here today, you have what it takes. If you're watching online, you have what it takes to be a follower or disciple of Christ. If you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, the first fill in the blank is obedience is a symptom of some internal belief. Obedience is a symptom of some internal belief. It's the effect of another cause. For a lot of us, obedience is an obligation, at least when we start talking about spiritual obedience. It's an obligation. It's a have to, a should do, an ought to do type of mentality that we have when it comes to obedience. But I believe if we look at the disciples, especially after three years with Jesus, I do not think that the disciples thought that obedience was an obligation. I believe they, they thought it was a privilege. I believe it was a want to and a get to for them. So is it possible for us sitting here today to get to that point where we go from obligation to privilege? Or have to, to want to, ought to, to get to. I think that we can. And there's four things that we're going to look at in the disciples' lives that I think will help us get there. The first thing, 
The disciples knew the truth. They knew the truth. Do you see, they got to walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, interact with Jesus. If they had a question, if they're unsure about something, who do they ask? Jesus. You know, it's like, Jesus, hey, we got ourselves in a pickle here. You think you can get, you know, help get us out? And they had the, the luxury and benefit of having him right there. And John, uh, it says, or Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What do we have? Well, we have Jesus through this. We have Scripture. We don't necessarily have the benefit of having him right there beside us, but Paul says that Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. So we have this and the benefit of this, but we also have some other things that the disciples didn't have to deal with. We have the Internet. We have news. We have social media. We have all of these other things that can begin to cloud the truth and what is truth and what is trash. It becomes difficult to decipher when we have all of these other things pouring into us. When my kids were young, um, we played a game called Truth or Trash. And I did not come up with this game. A church out west came up with this game, and it was an app. And it would, it would, it would pop up on there a statement or a thought, and you had to determine whether or not that statement or thought was truth or trash. And it would be something like, um, you were made in the image of God. Is that truth or trash? And this is me playing with my, you know, seven-year-old, five-year-old kids. And they'd say, Dad, Dad, that's truth. That's truth. I'd say, yeah, good job, good job. And then it would be uh, something like, if you mess up, God loves you less. If you mess up, God loves you less. And they said, no, Dad, that's trash. That's trash. God loves us all the time. You're like, you, you got it. And it's a, it was a silly game. It was a cheesy game. But the premise was so important because it took some thought or statement, and it threw it up against the central standard of truth. And for us as Christians, the central standard of truth is Jesus, is Scripture. And as long as that is right there in front of us, knowing the difference between truth and trash is easy. But what happens? It's easy to allow these other things to come in. The further that we get from Jesus, the more difficult it is to decipher between truth and trash. Okay? So if we're going to be obedient, we need to know what's clear between truth and trash. What, what are we being obedient to? The closer we are to Jesus, the clearer the truth is. Thus, the further we are from Jesus, the more cloudy it is and tougher to, to, to determine what is truth and what is trash. The next point is the disciples were clear on who more than the what they were being obedient to. They were clear on the who more than the what they were being obedient to. There were 600 laws and commandments in the Old Testament. If you're new to, to church or faith or Christianity, the Bible's made up of 66 different books, 39 of which are in the Old Testament. 
umpteen different authors. What separates the Old Testament and the New Testament is Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene, brings about something a little bit different. And it threw some of the religious leaders for a loop what Jesus was teaching, the message that he was bringing. And so these religious leaders, early in Jesus' ministry, they tried to trick him. And they said, hey, Jesus, of all the laws and the commandments, what's the most important? And Jesus summed it up, and he said, two, that I can, that I can say encompass all of them. It's, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of those 600 encompassed into two. Fast forward a little bit, and Jesus, later on in his ministry, is hanging out with his disciples, and he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to lay down his life, and so he's given them almost this, this uh, pregame talk, this pep talk, trying to encourage them, as he knows, he's about to leave them, and now they are going to be responsible for carrying on the message, his message, to the world. And this is what he says in John chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you. A new command I give you is to love one another, period. As I have loved you, love one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And it was like, bam. Immediately, it went off of this set of rules, this set of commandments, and now it's personal. Jesus made it personal to his disciples because to each one of them, they had a relationship with Jesus. So when he says, love other people the way that I have loved you, in Peter's mind, it goes back to the place where Peter was most unlovable, and Jesus loved him anyway. In John's mind, it goes back to the place where he was most unlovable, and Jesus loved him anyway. It became personal to the disciples. It did not it was nothing about the rules or the commandments anymore. It was about Jesus, and it was about him and his love for them. See, he raised the bar right there. He raised the bar. So he says, no, no longer am I asking you to love others as you would love yourself. Now I'm asking you to love other people the way that I have loved you. It's no longer a rule. He's telling them, I've showed you this for the last three years. You've walked with me, talked with me. You've seen me love you. Now take that. And go love other people that way. And he's saying the same thing to us. This commandment, we talk to his disciples, he's talking to us too. And he's saying, Adam, love other people the way that I have loved you. It's a new command. And for me, I know what that feels like. I go back to the time when I was most unlovable. And he loved me anyway. And I could go there in my mind and that's the way I'm supposed to love other people. For us to have sustained obedience, not just temporary obedience, sustained obedience, we have to be clear that it's now on a person, a who, more than the what. What else? The disciples understood the consequences. They understood the consequences. 
And to be clear, there are positive consequences and there are negative consequences. In my house, there's a lot of negative consequences, okay? When my kids do something wrong, I typically inflict some sort of pain so that the next time that thought goes through their mind, they'll remember the pain and it will redirect them, hopefully, away from whatever thought was there. But if we're going to have sustained obedience, we have to believe that the obedience is good for us. It's actually good for our well-being if it's going to be sustainable. We've got a chocolate lab at the house. Uh, his name's Champ, and we gave him that name because we thought it was a, just a real masculine, tough name. And Champ is not a tough dog, but he does have a tough name. Um, and Champ, we've got an electric fence that surrounds our house, and he, he knows where the boundaries are. But when you cross the fence into our driveway, he takes straight off at these cars or the UPS truck or the FedEx truck, whatever it is. And it drives a snot out of me. And so I'm like, I'm going I'm to teach him not to do that. I'm going to train my dog. And I love uh, Caesar Malong, the dog whisperer, and, and he would probably not approve of the method that I'm about to explain uh, of, of what I did to our dog, Champ. So I, I get on Amazon and I order this remote control shot collar. And the shot collar has three buttons. The first button, it's a beep. Trying to remind the dog, you know, if, if you continue doing what you're about to do, it's about to get worse. The next stage, it's a vibrate. And then if they still are not behaving or the, the corrective action hasn't, hasn't happened, then it's got this big yellow button with, with a lightning bolt on there. Uh, and it, it's kind of like you can't accidentally hit that button. Uh, so I set the stage, and I told my wife, I was like, all right, need you to go somewhere. Call me when you're about to pull in the driveway. So I, I had the collar on our dog, and I'm, I'm kind of standing there in, in the corner inside the house where he can't see me. He's on the front porch, and I see her car start to come up. And so he, he sits up, and I, I, I start beeping, beep, 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 <laughs> trying to get him. Please don't do this, buddy. Please don't. I'm trying to teach you. And... Lo and behold, you know, she starts coming in. He gets up on all fours and starts barking. So I start vibrating, you know, vibrate, vibrate, vibrate. And bam, he just takes off straight at her. So I start, I hit the yellow button. And I apologize if, if, if you are a, a animal lover, just so you know, Ch uh, Champ is, is alive and well today, okay? Uh, he, he's completely fine. But I, I shocked him, and he tucks his tail, ears go back, and he freezes, because like, he's used to the electric fence, and he knows not to go anywhere near it. And I've thoroughly, at this point, confused him, because now he's being shocked, shocked inside of his safe zone. And, and I feel terrible at this point, because he won't move. He's tiptoeing, so afraid to walk anywhere, because he's afraid he's going to get shocked. And I was not trying to ruin Champ's fun. He loves to chase after cars, and that's, that's all fine and dandy. I want him to be a, a good, happy dog, but I'm worried about one of, the, one of the vehicles running over him. I don't want him to die. I don't want him to get killed because a car ran over him. And so there's probably a better approach that I, I, I should have had. Probably should have sat on the front porch and told him to sit and stay 
and giving him a treat as he sit and stayed and giving him some positive reinforcement as opposed to the, to the shot caller. But the point is, I wanted what was best for him. He didn't know that. In his mind, he thinks I'm trying to ruin his fun. In reality, I'm trying to save his life. And in order for us to have sustained obedience, we have to believe that that obedience, God's instructions, are good for us. I want you to imagine with me for a second that you're not inside of a church. Throw religion out the door. Throw politics out the door. Throw denomination out the door. Some guy gets up on stage and he starts preaching or teaching on love, forgiveness, generosity, humility, kindness. If we all, regardless of our, our history, our thought process, our belief system, if we all adopted those teachings, our world would be a better place. All right, that's what Jesus taught. So it is good for us to listen to Jesus' teaching. The positive consequences of listening to Jesus and being, obedience, of being obedient are good. They are good for us. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, Jesus will, make you, Jesus will make your life better and will make you better at life. Jesus' teachings will make your life better and they will make you better at life. If we believe that, then we're on the right path to sustainable obedience. Finally, what did the disciples know? They knew the truth. They were focused on the who more than the what they were being obedient to. They knew the consequences. I believe this is the most important thing that they figured out over their three years with Jesus, and that is this, that their obedience was driven by love, not fear. Their obedience was driven by love, not fear. I'm going to use the whiteboard here to hopefully... Drive this point home. There's two kinds of obedience. There is love-based and fear-based obedience. Love-based is based off of a relationship. Fear-based is based off of a position or a title. That position or title gives that person authority. And just a little bonus here, this is not just applicable to the spiritual side. If you're a coach, if you're a boss, a manager, a supervisor, if you're a parent, this is applicable. This relationship, because of this relationship, we have uh, trust and influence, which leads to an obedience that is 
sustainable, this leads to a temporary obedience. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place or a time for for fear-based obedience. I, I coached um, uh, my, my son for, in football for seven years. There's a time and a place for fear-based obedience, okay? But if you want to create sustainable obedience, it's got to be derived from this, love. This is you. Your perception of Jesus or God determines which one of these you fall under. Is it fear-based or love-based? And I can, I can speak from my own experience. A, a, a lot of, of me growing up in church, and, and unfortunately I think a lot, of, a lot of church or some churches, definitely not Greystone because we've never done anything wrong, okay? Definitely not Greystone. Unfortunately, a lot of churches teach or use that to try to get us to be obedient. If you don't do X, then, then this is going to happen. As opposed to teaching this. Our perception, our view of Jesus determines which path that we're on. I've got a video here that I think will help drive home this point. So check this out.
that's Jesus right there. That's the perfect picture of him. When we slip and fall and mess up at our deepest, darkest point, he's not sitting up there saying, I told you so. That's not him. He's not telling you, you shouldn't have done that. You should have known better. You messed up. No. He's just like that dad that fought through security to get to us. And he's like, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're in pain. But I'm here now. I will get us to the finish line. You were hurt. You were injured. Put your arm around me and let me take us there. That's Jesus. If you believe otherwise, I'm sorry, but that is not the Jesus that is in here. It is not. It is the loving Heavenly Father that we can have a personal relationship with that is completely tore up, upset when we don't obey, not angry, authoritative. This is him over here. When we comprehend that, when we grasp that perspective, because the disciples had that, when we grasp that, then we can have sustainable obedience that will last. Obedience goes from an obligation to a privilege. All right? It goes from a have to to a want to. It goes from a should do to a get to. It's possible when we have the right perspective. And that is, that is truth. That is truth. Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to earth to demonstrate how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to love. God, we're grateful that we have an opportunity to have a relationship. God, we, I pray that everyone in this room can experience that relationship so that we can gain that trust, so that we can know that that love is there between between him and us, and where we desire to be obedient. God, where we have an attitude of, of, of privilege to being obedient as opposed to an obligation. This is something that we want to do, Father. I pray that you work inside of our hearts as we leave here. Uh, I pray that, God, we would be examples to those out in our communities of what your love really is. In your name we pray. Amen.